What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Will Ford Show. Merry Christmas. I hope all of you had a wonderful holiday season. And I've done a lot better this week. I've prepared early. I'm a day late. But it's the holidays, you know. So I hope you guys all had a very Merry Christmas. we got the New Year coming up. We've got a great show today. I'm very happy that you guys are joining me today. Uh, we're going to start today with the Dallas versus Seattle game that occurred on Sunday. Uh, Dallas lost to the Seattle Seahawks 21-12 to in a must-win game for both teams to stay in the playoff hunt for that sixth seed in the wild card. Uh, Dallas made a lot of mistakes uh, during this game. Uh, they were driving down the field late in the game, down 21 to 12, uh, in a goal to go goal to go situation. And Scott Linehan, the offensive coordinator, did not give the ball to Zeke three straight times. And the Cowboys were forced to settle for a field goal. The first play was a run pass option with Dak, involving Dak, Cole Beasley, and Zeke. And I have no problem with that play call because there's the option to hand it off. Dak liked what he saw with the pass. Cole Beasley was wide open, but Dak was pressured, pressured and had to throw the ball away. So I have no problem with that. But then they called two more pass plays in a row, and they were forced to kick a field goal. And Dan Bailey missed that field goal, which effectively ended their chances of winning that game. So th that was a huge mistake by Scott Linehan not giving the ball to Zeke at least one time. Because odds are he's going to score. He's a big back. That offensive line is great. Even though there was no Tyron Smith, they had still been doing okay for most of that game. And I think Zeke would have gotten in. There's no excuse for not giving the ball to Zeke in that situation. And then Dak threw two demoralizing interceptions that, that kept Seattle in this game because, let's face it, Dallas dominated this game statistically from a yard standpoint and just time of possession. Dallas dominated, and crucial turnovers allowed Seattle to stay in this game. Seattle barely had 100 yards total of offense for the whole game, and they still managed to win, and that's because of how poorly Dak played. And with their third, their third player of the triplets, Dez, uh, Heath was throwing hissy fits the whole game on the sideline about complaining. He was complaining about not getting the ball. And then when he finally got the ball, his first catch, he fumbled it. It got punched out by Byron Maxwell, and that set up the first points of the game for Seattle. And it's, it's um, it's just so demoralizing when a player gives off this, this uh, horrible, infectious vibe and then goes out and performs the way he does. Uh, the decline of Des Bryant has been huge for this team over the last couple of years. He just hasn't been the same beast we've been used to seeing. And he, he just can't do what he once could do. And here's an example. Des is, is like that amazing singer. Who, who could hit every note, every high note, and and had all the hit songs, kind of like Mariah Carey. This is kind of a comparison to Mar Mariah Carey. But now that Dez has gotten older, 
he can't hit those notes anymore, so to speak. He he's very one-dimensional now. He only runs fade routes and streaks. Dez is still a big physical specimen, but he hasn't had a single 100-yard receiving game this season, and I don't think he has in over his last 20 games. So his performance has been has just been horrid over the last two seasons. And that's a testament to his his aging body and could be a testament to Dak as well, not putting him in positions to be successful. But after this game, this poses the question, what's next for Dallas? People are saying, should they fire Jason Garrett as their head coach? No, I don't I don't think so. I think you got to keep Jason Garrett. Uh, Jason Garrett is not the reason for their failure this season. They had a lot of injuries on the offensive line. Zeke was gone for six games, which didn't, which didn't help matters at all. And because of that, Dak regressed because he just didn't have the weapons around him he needed. Didn't have protection. And the play calling is not Jason Garrett's fault. That's Scott Linehan. Scott Linehan is the one that calls the plays. So... I think Jason Garrett is a fine head coach. And the thing is, is if you fire Jason Garrett, who are you going to hire? I just don't see anybody on the market that would be a better option than Jason Garrett as head coach. I mean, Jason Garrett took a team last year that had a basically a third-string quarterback in Dak Prescott. And when Tony Romo went down, he used Dak – in a way that made that team very successful, and Dak had an incredible year, and they went 13-3. and Jason Garrett is a pretty good head coach. He was coach of the year last year, so I, I, I don't buy this, oh, fire Jason Garrett, because he's had his last two seasons have been really, really good, and... It would just be almost counterproductive to get rid of Jason Garrett. Next, Dallas. I think Dallas has got to explore trade options for Des Bryant. Uh, he just hasn't lived up to his $70 million contract that he was given a couple years ago. And he is aging. And I think Dallas can realistically, could possibly get a first-round pick for Des that might be a little high, but I think you can definitely get a second-round pick for Des Bryant. They really need to explore trade options for Des. I don't think you cut him. You just can't cut him. you got to get something of value for him because he is still a valuable guy for a team. But I do think they need to draft someone in the first round, possibly. Draft a guy like Calvin Ridley out of Alabama in the – in next year's draft. He is a very quick receiver. Uh, he's got great speed. And I think that would really open things up for Dez. If they were to still have Dez. If they drafted Calvin Ridley. I think it would really open up their offense. And would give Dak another weapon he can utilize. And if they get Calvin Ridley and still have Dez. You might want to explore getting rid of Terrence Williams. Because Terrence Williams would then just be. Kind of that lost piece in the offense. 
And for Dez to be successful, I think he needs to undergo kind of a Larry Fitzgerald or Anquan Bolding kind of change. Or maybe even Heinz Ward at the end of his career. Larry Fitzgerald, when Bruce Arians came to Arizona, told Larry that you're no longer going to be the primary X receiver. You're going to move in and be a, a Z, be a Y. You're going to be in the slot more. Because Larry, at the time, was getting older and he couldn't do some of the more athletic things that he could once do. So they moved him inside and Bruce Arians promised him 90 catches a year. And he has been terrific. He's been running a lot of slants, a lot of shorter routes, a lot of dig routes, a lot of across-the-middle stuff. And I think that's something that Dez needs to do. I think Dez needs to be moved around a lot more, move around in the slot more, run more slants, more quick routes, more digs, more shallow crosses, uh, more out routes, just more kind of shorter things and more in the middle of the field. I think that's going to help him be a lot more successful because he can still run with the ball and be very aggressive. And I think if you put him in situations where he can catch in space, then that'll help him be more successful than just throwing up fades and streaks to him. So that's how you're going to have to get Dez back on track if you do, in fact, keep Dez. But I, I think you always got to keep your options open and just look out there and see what you can get for Dez. And then if you can get a guy like Calvin Ridley, that'll really help your offense out and kind of space it out more. Next, the Cowboys, they are I know a lot of people don't want to admit it, but they're going to have to look for Jason Witten's heir apparent. I really feel bad for the guy because he has had a tremendous Hall of Fame career. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he just hasn't had that that deep playoff run in that Super Bowl that he deserves. But Jason Witten is not getting any, getting any younger. He's not going to be around much longer. So maybe possibly in the second or third round you draft a guy like Mark Andrews out of Oklahoma or maybe Troy Fumagalli out of Wisconsin. If you can get a guy like that in the second or third round, that would be a good guy for for Jason Witten to groom into that next great Cowboys tight end. And then I, th I think they need to also look at linebackers in the first round too, like Roquan, Roquan Smith or Malik Jefferson possibly. And the reason why is Sean Lee is a terrific linebacker, but he's not getting any younger either. He's he's turning 32 this year, and he's very injury-plagued. And Jalen Smith is still finding his way in this league. He's coming off of that horrific knee injury, and it's going to take him a little bit to find his footing. So if you draft a guy like Roquan or Malik, that's really going to help your defense out, and they'll contribute right away, and they'll be starters. But things are looking fine. I, I, I don't think there's any need to overreact if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan or if you're a member of the Dallas Cowboys. Next year, everyone's going to be back healthy. Sean Lee's going to be healthy. Tyron Smith's going to be healthy. The offensive line's going to be fine. You're going to have Zeke for a whole season, hopefully. And you won't have a first-place schedule. So it's really, if everything just stays the same and you draft a, some, you have a good draft and maybe a good free agency, 
this team can be back to 13 and 3, 12 and 4, and be division leaders and be contenders in the NFC. All right, we're going to segue. We're going to move over to the NBA. We're going to talk about the Houston Rockets. Uh, everyone's saying that the Rockets have the best chance to dethrone the Golden State Warriors in the West and overtake them to the finals. The Rockets are fun. They're a fun team to watch. They can score. They can shoot threes with the best of the league. And they have an MVP candidate in James Harden, who arguably could have won it last year and the year before and the year before that. No one would have batted an eye if he had won it any of those years. He's been amazing. Statistically, been one of the best players in the league. And then they added Chris Paul, which just makes them even better. He's the best true point guard in the league and has been for the last 10 to 12 years. And the true point guard is kind of a dying position. But what's the knock on Chris Paul in his career? One, he's got an injury history. And two, he can't win in the playoffs. Now, part of that playoff success is due to injuries, but one can legitimately say that he can't win in the playoffs or hasn't been able to. Now, what's the knock on James Harden? He oftentimes disappears in the playoffs. He did it when he was in OKC, when he was in the finals against the Heat, and he has done it at times in Houston, specifically last year against the Thunder. Oh, and let's not forget, their head coach, Mike D'Antoni, hasn't had great playoff success either. This is a this is very extremely similar to the Kansas City Chiefs in the NFL. They always have great regular season success. And they're division title winners, and they're one of the top four seeds in the playoff AFC playoffs every year. But they only have one playoff win in the last 20 to 25 years. It could be to do with their quarterback, Alex Smith. Could be their coach, Andy Reid, who's had a lot of success and who had a lot of success in Philadelphia, but could never win the Super Bowl or never really get there. He only got there once. And let's not forget, Alex Smith was benched when he was on the 49ers years back. And when he was benched, the 49ers went on to go to the Super Bowl that year. I don't know why. I just can't I just can't buy into their rockets. Into the rockets, sorry. Their analytics numbers approach doesn't work in the playoffs. And it never has for any other team. They're a great team. They can shoot threes. They have James Harden and Chris Paul. And Chris Paul's hurt currently, actually, right now. So regular season-wise, I'm not worried about them. They're going to be a top-two seed in the Western Conference. But when it's playoff time, just wait and see if they disappear or not. All right, I want to transition Back to the NFL. This is probably the biggest story in the NFL right now. And it's got to do with, surprise, New England again. 
James Harrison was released by the Pittsburgh Steelers and has signed with the New England Patriots. Harrison has been disgruntled about the number of snaps he's been getting. And that's because their rookie, TJ Watt, is simply better than James Harrison. Harrison, to be quite frank, is almost washed up. I mean, he just is. And he's a shell of what he once was and has had a very limited impact all season. He is the all-time leader, sacks leader in Steelers history. But, I mean, it's just so funny to me, but it's just classic Patriots. I mean, for real, they're, they're the best waiver wire team in the history of the league without a doubt. To them, one man's trash is another man's treasure. It's just what Belichick and the Patriots do. And the Patriots just absolutely dominate the Steelers in the mental game, too. The Patriots always beat the Steelers. The Steelers lost to the Patriots at home in Pittsburgh. And now that means they have to go through Foxborough to get to the Super Bowl. The Steelers have never been able to do that. And the funny thing about all of this is that the Patriots get the Steelers' historic defensive lineman Harrison about a month away from their probable matchup in the AFC Championship. And the Patriots are going to know all of Pittsburgh's schemes, all of their codes, their plays, and everything they do to prepare for games. All of that's going to come from James Harrison. It's just classic Patriots and Bill Belichick. It's absolute genius. It's cold-hearted genius. And obviously, though, this is an FU give them the middle finger move from James Harrison to the Steelers. Look, I, I understand. I get it. You're ticked off. You think you can still play, which I'm sure he probably can still play, but he just doesn't look the same. But you think you can still play, and you want another ring. Which, by the way, New England is the best place to go do that, in case you didn't know. But if you're an all-time great Pittsburgh Steeler, you can't go to their nemesis. Like, the, the Steelers and Patriots aren't rivals. Because rivals, they beat each other. But your nemesis always beats you. It's just wrong if you're a Steeler and you go play for the Patriots after you get cut. But I totally get it, though, because if you want to go chase a ring, New England is the best place to go do it. And Mark Schlereth on The Herd today, I was watching The Herd, said that if he had the chance to go do that, he said he'd absolutely do it because he wants to go win a ring. So I totally get it. But it's, it's just so funny because this is classic Patriots. We're going to stay on the topic of the Patriots. Uh, 
Jimmy Garoppolo, who was just traded from the Patriots to the 49ers, he's, he's been terrific during his, his four starts this year. He's 4-0. And he just went out and shredded the vaunted Jacksonville Jaguars defense, which is by far the best in football. And this makes the Garoppolo trade look horrible for the Patriots. They basically gave away Jimmy Garoppolo. They gave him away for the same price they bought him for, a second-round pick. And I was I listened to this theory on The Herd a couple weeks ago. And I actually thought it was really interesting, and I kind of agree with what Colin Coward was talking about. So this is this is what I think. Tom Brady right now is 40 years old. And right now he's starting to show his age because his play has kind of dipped the last couple weeks. And I think Belichick is realizing this. And I think before the trade deadline, he toyed with the idea of possibly trading Tom Brady. And when he approached Robert Kraft about trading Brady... Kraft said, absolutely not. You're not trading away our franchise, our golden boy. Because it would destroy the city. Belichick realizes that he has the future of the franchise in his hands with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like the next 10 to 12 years of success with Jimmy Garoppolo. And he wants to show he can win now with this young guy. He was telling Kraft that my system is more important than the star, Tom Brady. We have this young buck who is ready to play now and an old, fragile quarterback who is bound to have a decline, which he's having right now. Belichick wanted to choose Garoppolo. It was, it's almost clear. And Kraft said no. So what did Belichick do? He was upset. He was angry. And to get back at Robert Kraft, he traded away the future of the franchise. Probably the next to 10, 12 years for next to nothing. Basically what you paid for him, a second round pick. And Garoppolo is way more worth, worth way more than a second round pick. And for the record, I don't think the 49ers knew what they were getting when they traded for Garoppolo. They probably thought that a second round pick was... You know, an okay deal. But he's 4-0 and he shredded the Jacksonville Jaguars. He's a star. So Belichick said, fine, I'll trade our future away and I'll, I might retire a few years early and just leave you guys in this messy situation. After Tom Brady retires, which is probably going to be within the next year or two, might even be after this year, the Patriots are going to be without a quarterback unless they find one. They draft one in the next year or two. Remember, they traded Jacoby Brissett to Indianapolis for nothing, a bust-wide receiver. Belichick burned the Patriots here and burned Robert Kraft badly. It's, it's a crazy theory that Belichick would even do that, but I think Colin Cowherd is right. All right, we're staying in the NFL, but we're going to segue over to Aaron Rodgers.
I think it's time for Aaron Rodgers to consider getting out of Green Bay. I think a change of scenery is needed for him. The franchise has failed time and time again to put a team together for him to go out and win a championship. His offensive weapons are aging. Jordy Nelson's in his 30s and is coming off of a torn ACL and just looks like a shell of himself. He has no running game, or at least a not very consistent running game. No offensive line and a defense that's just absolutely atrocious. And Aaron Rodgers doesn't ask for much. He wanted them to keep Jared Cook, a decent tight end. They let him walk and go to the Oakland Raiders. He wanted them to keep cornerback Casey Hayward in the secondary. He went to to the Los Angeles Chargers. I almost said San San Diego for a minute. That would have been bad. But they let Casey Hayward walk. And now the Chargers secondary looks really good. The man doesn't and hasn't asked for much for his whole career. I think he really needs to explore what options he has around him. I mean, imagine him and Odell Beckham in New York. Now I get that that team has problems of its own too, a bad offensive line, and the majority of the defense is bad, but just imagine him and Odell. Imagine him in Denver with that Super Bowl caliber defense. And you got Demaryius Thomas on the outside, Emmanuel Sanders, and you have C.J. Anderson, who's not a bad running back, and their offensive line's okay. Or imagine him in Jacksonville. Jacksonville is doing really good with Blake Bortles, but imagine if they had Rodgers. And the league's best defense, a strong running game with Leonard Fournette, a pretty decent offensive line. And a great core of young receivers. Alan Hearns, Alan Robinson, who are both injured right now, but they'll be back next year. Hearns, Robinson, D.D. Westbrook is emerging. I mean, whew. Imagine him in places like that. I honestly think that's what the best move for Aaron Rodgers is. He could win a few more Super Bowls easily if he joined a team that was a quarterback away from getting over the top, like Jacksonville, because I don't think Jacksonville is going to win a Super Bowl. They might make some noise in the playoffs, but they're not going to win a Super Bowl with Blake Bortles. Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback in football right now, and he is letting his career waste away in a horrible franchise. If you take Aaron Rodgers away from the Green Bay Packers – You basically have the Cleveland Browns. Think about that for a minute. Aaron Rodgers has carried that team for the last eight years. I don't know when he won his Super Bowl, but he's been carrying this team his whole career, basically. He is the MVP of that team, and if he had played the whole year, he'd probably be the MVP of the league. Which is a smooth transition into our next segment. This is kind of a shorter segment, but I just kind of want to touch on this because I I have an idea on something. 
the NFL MVP Most Valuable Player Award is really the NFL's Most Valuable Quarterback Award. I mean, let's let's keep it simple here. The NFL is a quarterback league, plain and simple. That's just the age we live in. Quarterbacks win the MVP every year, with the exception of Adrian Peterson in 2012 when he rushed for over 2,000 yards, Ladanian Tomlinson in 2006 when he broke the touchdown record for running backs, and Terrell Davis in 98 when he rushed for 2,000 yards. It seems like it's impossible for anyone other than a cute quarterback to win the MVP unless they have a historic season break records, and reach milestones. I think the award system needs to change. We all understand the quarterback is the most valuable and important position in football. But to make things better and to allow us to appreciate what other positions do... I think the NFL should create a system in which we determine the most valuable NFL player at each position. Or at in or at maybe an elite at an each position group. So like you would do most valuable receiver, running back, and then offensive linemen, you would just make it all offensive linemen, not separate it to guards, tackles, centers. Same with defensive linemen. Same with linebackers. And same with safeties. But I think that's what the NFL should do. Doing this allows players at every position to be recognized who have tremendous seasons. That's what I would do. And right now, Tom Brady's the front runner and will likely be the winner of the MVP award because it's a quarterback league. And it's it's kind of sad because Todd Gurley is having a tremendous season with the Rams in L.A. He is really proven to be a Le'Veon Bell type back, but is better as a runner, and Le'Veon is better as a receiver. He's having a tremendous year, and he's one of the main reasons for their success. He's probably second in the MVP race right now, but in all actual actuality, he is not going to win the MVP. That's why I think we need to have most valuable per or at each position. And I'm not saying this to make it more fair. I'm just saying this because other people need to be recognized. And you're only recognizing quarterbacks. I get the quarterback is the most important position. Absolutely it is. But without players like Todd Gurley, the Rams would be nothing without Todd Gurley this year. Trust me, Jared, Jared Goff is really good. He's been great this year. But if you take Todd Gurley away, they ain't going to be that good. Look what happened in Dallas. Tremendous year last year. Zeke had over 1,600 yards rushing. Take him away for six games this year. Dak was horrible. It really shows who the MVP of each team is, really. Alright, we're gonna we're actually gonna move on to something we've never talked about before. We're gonna move on to college basketball. 
So last week or or two weeks ago, I don't really remember. But around that time, I watched the first half of Duke versus Evansville, and I know it's a crappy game to watch because Duke obviously dominated that game. But I noticed a few things, specifically with Duke forward Marvin Bagley Jr. It appears in my eyes that he is the clear-cut number one pick in next year's NBA draft if he decides to leave. I know it's early, and and there's a ton of season left, and there's the March Madness tourney. But I like this kid. From what I saw in this game, I like him. Offensively, he's very well-rounded. In the post, he has terrific footwork. Can finish really well around the rim. Plays well with his back to the basket and in the face-up game. And he has a little bit of range. Can hit the mid-range. Can even hit the three a little bit. But defensively is what impressed me the most because you don't see a lot of defense in the NBA. He plays really well on the weak side, which was what I noticed in that game. He has great length and size, and he's a great rebounder. And the biggest thing I noticed is that he's willing to lay his body on the line for his teammates. I saw him take a charge in that game, and he he takes charges. And he plays with this this great energy, this infectious energy. I just I really like this kid. I really like this kid. He is a good player. Alright. We're gonna move over now we're going to go back to football and we're going to talk about the NFL draft that is going to be upcoming here in a few months uh, Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold are the two quarterbacks in this year's draft that are the clear cut number one and number two picks And I'm going to tell you right now who has the edge for that number one pick. Josh Rosen was asked about the possibility of being drafted by the Browns. And when he was asked this, he said he'd rather not play there. And obviously it's because the Browns are a poorly run franchise. And he said he'd rather play for a team that's a good fit for him. He'd rather be drafted lower and fit great with the team than be drafted higher and and it not be a great fit. He's being picky and he's being really choosy about where he wants to go. And I think that, that ultimately hurts his draft stock. Sam Darnold, on the other hand when asked about the possibility of playing for the Browns, responded by saying he'd play for any team. And that it's been been a lifelong dream since he was a kid. And when it would embrace the opportunity to play for any team that drafts him. 
He talked about how he pays his respects to the game with each practice and game that he plays. This is the difference between Darnold and Rosen. One will play anywhere. The other will play where he best fits. Darnold's stock rose in this situation, and Rosen's stock fell. Rosen is a very outspoken kid. And sometimes when you speak out, that's... There's certain situations where you don't want to speak your mind, and this was one of them. This was a this was an opportunity for him to just not talk, just be gracious and be accepting that you're gonna play. You'll play anywhere. Right now, if I were a GM sitting in that number one spot. I would draft Sam Darnold over Josh Rosen. Now, if you're the Browns, I don't want you drafting either of these guys because I think I, I like Deshaun Kaiser. But that's besides the point. All right. This has kind of been a shorter show today, but we've got one more segment. We're going to finish the show off with... The Ford Food Chain. The top 10 teams in the NFL after week 16. And we're, this is leading up to playoff time. These are the teams that are going to make the most noise in the playoffs. Number 10, the Baltimore Ravens. They're still sitting at 10. They've been winning, and they look like a consistent team right now. And they can be a legitimate threat to... The top seeds like Pittsburgh and New England in the playoffs. Baltimore always plays well against New England at Foxborough, as I said in last week's show. And Joe Flacco is a terrific playoff quarterback. Number nine, the Kansas City Chiefs. Right now, Kansas City's found their groove again. Kareem Hunt has been getting the ball more, and he's been rushing really effectively. Alex Smith has been playing a lot better. And it looks like they've, they've got their division locked up. And they will be the fourth seed in the AFC for the playoffs. They're looking a lot better. And even though I still don't trust them in the playoffs, you never know. They could still make some noise. Number eight, the Philadelphia Eagles. Now I have them a lot. They won this week. But I have them a lot lower than I did last week simply because I'm not buying into Nick Foles. He didn't play very well against an Oakland Raiders defense that has been horrible all year. And I just don't buy that Nick Foles is going to be able to carry them very far in the playoffs. But they still have a great team, a great defense. Terrific weapons. They'll be fine, but I just don't see a Super Bowl in the cards this season. Number seven, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have the best defense in the league, as I've said multiple times. Blake Bortles has been playing a lot more efficiently 
and they're 8-0 in games he doesn't throw an interception. And that's huge. Their running game is terrific when Leonard Fournette is able to play. Their offensive line is pretty decent. This team could knock off New England or Pittsburgh in the playoffs and could possibly make it to the AFC Championship. I am excited about this team. I am rooting for this team in the playoffs. It's going to be the first time they've been in the playoffs since 2007 when they have David Garrard at quarterback. I'm really excited about this team. Number six, the Carolina Panthers. Cam Newton has been playing a lot more consistently lately. A lot more consistent lately. Sorry. Grammar is bad. Uh, but they've been playing really well. Uh, they had a, they struggled a little bit against Tampa Bay, but Tampa Bay has been playing teams really tough over the last couple weeks. And trying, trying to kind of play spoiler to, to teams in the NFC, almost knocked off Atlanta, almost knocked off Carolina. But Carolina has been playing great. Their defense is great. Cam Newton is hitting a groove. Their running game is all right. They're going to be a threat in the playoffs. Number five, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They played really well against Houston, but Houston's secondary is horrible. And without Antonio Brown, it was totally fine for Big Ben and the Steelers. Juju Smith-Schuster and Martavis Bryant showed up to play. If they had Antonio Brown healthy, they'd probably be in the top four, but they're still a great team. Their defense is a little weak still, but... They're likely going to make it to the AFC Championship in a rematch against the Patriots. And uh, Patriots will probably win, but Pittsburgh at five. Number four, the New Orleans Saints. New Orleans, New Orleans has been terrific this year. They are, they're asking Drew Brees to not do as much with the ball. Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram are a terrific tandem. Defense is much improved. Marshall Lattimore is the best player on that defense. Cameron Jordan is great. They, they've really built that defense up to be a Super Bowl-ready defense. They, Michael Thomas is terrific on the outside. This is a Super Bowl team. This could be a, a threat in the NFC to make it to the Super Bowl and represent the NFC. Number three, the Los Angeles Rams. The Los Angeles Rams have an even better rushing attack with Todd Gurley, who is arguably the MVP this year, but we all know, as I said before, Tom Brady will win it. Jared Goff has been terrific all year. Their receivers are, none of them are like huge names. But they're really efficient. Cooper Cup is a rookie. He's been great. Robert Woods has been terrific. And Sammy Watkins has had injuries. He's been a little inconsistent, but he is still a great piece. Their front seven's terrific. A great defense. An even more ready defense than the Saints. And they're just a better team than the Saints. I got them at number three. Number two, the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota Vikings have the second best defense in football, in my opinion, to Jacksonville. That is extremely Super Bowl ready. Case Keenum is a viable option at quarterback. He has proven to be a 
mid-level starting quarterback in this league and could start for a lot of teams that need a quarterback. Their running game is great with Latavius and Jarek McKinnon, Adam Thielen, and uh, uh, Stephon Diggs have been terrific. Kyle Rudolph is great. Their offense has been well run by Case Keenum. And I like them to make it out of the NFC and make it to the Super Bowl. And number one, no surprise here, the New England New England Patriots. Their, their system is terrific. They play – their defense has is, is got a lot of no names on it, a lot of young guys. They've got a lot of injuries, but their defense still gets the job done. Tom Brady is aging and kind of showing that age, but he always turns it on in the playoffs. And they're likely going to make it back to the Super Bowl. And Tom Brady is – Likely going to have his sixth ring. The clear-cut number one team, no questions. That has been the Ford food chain. All right, guys, that's it for today's show. A little bit of a shorter show this week. Going to try to make these a little longer. Sorry, that was a little short. They've been usually around an hour. We're at 45 minutes right now. Uh, Merry Christmas to you all. I hope you guys all had a terrific holiday. And the next time I will see you guys, it'll be 2018. So looking forward to it. I'll see you guys in 2018. This has been The Will Ford Show.